This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. I get up in the morning, I don't drink coffee, I, I uh, drink a Pepsi. When I have that Pepsi, it's like everything's okay. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins here with you. We're going to have Kenny Sanders, the Oregon Director of Recruiting from Penn State, on the show in a couple minutes. But first, I just want to briefly introduce all the awesome stuff we get to talk about today. Men's and women's hoops, softball, stunning the world with a five straight wins and then Oregon baseball starts this week as well I've got some thoughts on what's going on there yeah Oregon baseball I mean who'd who'd have thought right yeah the the uh, uh, not oft discussed uh, Oregon baseball but yeah I'm excited about some of these I mean uh, you know I know we talked real quick about what we're going to do here as we got started I mean that women's softball my goodness five and oh I mean just and you got player of the week I mean just unbelievable yeah it's it would really be sweet if some dummy didn't go on the radio and say Melissa Lombardi has no charisma, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I am not looking good for that take. My Melissa Lombardi hot take may not age well. Was wasn't very hot, was it? But I mean, <laughs> you know, I put up a poll uh, on Scoop Duck uh, over the weekend. You know, what was more impressive, the 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 five and zero start for softball or the absolute forty point decimation mm. of Stanford by by Oregon basketball, Oregon women's basketball? Yeah. Absolutely. Both of those performances, you're just shaking your head and go, damn, girls, you guys kicked ass. You you come out of that game, 40-point thrashing in Palo Alto, yeah. first time they've done that in 29 years, and you think, how far can they go? Right. Is this the team that goes all the way? I, you know, I mean, we talked we talked about it before the season even started. You think all the components are there for this team to have a championship caliber run. They're definitely going to get in the, the, the dance, there's no question about that, but um, you know, as we've talked, and I know we're getting off task here, we'll get back to the ladies, but as we've talked in the last few weeks, last month or so, that supporting cast is really stepping up and just mm-hmm. making this a complete basketball team. It's it's absolutely amazing to watch. Yeah. Plus, we've got a couple things in the world of football to talk about. Oh, oh yeah. I told you we're going to have Kenny Sanders on the show in a couple minutes, but also there's a new receiver coach. Apparently, there's a new receiver coach, not yet announced by Oregon as we re- record this, but you know, I do feel confident enough to go ahead and at least talk about it. Uh, you know, first reported by Football Scoop that uh, you know Joe Vaughn Booknight will come and join the Oregon staff as receivers coach. He's a outside receiver listed as the outside receivers coach at Texas Tech. You know, followed that staff down, Matt Wells down from Utah State. Um, so he's only been there a couple months. But, uh, you know, I, 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 there's no way to sell that, you know, Casey Dunn was probably not the top priority. He was. I mean, he's a well-respected receiver coach, been at Oklahoma State, turned out a lot of elite guys. Um, you know, just didn't work out for whatever reason. I think Joe Von Booknight's a, a, a very good replacement. I think he's got a ton of upside. And, you know, for Mario Cristobal, he certainly saw enough to – you know, decide that this young man needed to be a part of his staff and made the move. So, you know, I'm excited about it. And just looking at his resume, it certainly looks like he's got a lot to offer. Yeah, real excited to dive into that a little bit later on the pod. With Kenny Sanders, before we bring him on, Mm -hmm. what's the the most glaring question to you? What do you want to ask him? 
<clears throat> you know, I just want to get to know him, you know, more than anything. We, you know, he's somewhat of a, I don't want to call him a relative unknown, but, you know, to us out West, he, you know, he somewhat is. And, um, you know, at Penn State uh, at this particular point in his career, um, you know, he hasn't actually held this job title yet. He was an assistant uh, player personnel director, if I recall correctly, um, you know, which means he was part of the recruiting office, you know, maybe doing a little bit of different duties, but but in there, um, you know, no question in my mind that he, he worked, you know, working under James Franklin in those offices. You were, you know, you worked hard, you, you were pushed hard. They've they've recruited incredibly well, um, you know, and against some some really tough competition there. You've got Ohio State, you've got Michigan, you obviously along with, you know, battling some SEC schools if you're going to the Southeast. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind he knows how to do it. Otherwise, Mario Cristobal wouldn't have hired him. But I just want to get to know him, you yeah. know, hear him, you know, let him kind of talk about himself a little bit and, and uh, you know, see why he took this job, why why he wanted this job. From Happy Valley to Eugene, it's a hell of a transition cross-country and a hell of an addition to one of the best programs in college football. The Ducks' new recruiting director, Kenny Sanders, he's going to join us on the other side. This is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. The Ducks have a new director of recruiting. From Happy Valley to Eugene, we welcome Kenny Sanders. Uh, Coach, let's start with just the obvious. You've come from Penn State and you joined the Ducks. What was that like being in Happy Valley? You know, Happy Happy Valley was an awesome experience for me. I was there for five seasons uh, under Coach Franklin, and, you know, I can't say enough about that staff, that fan base, and, you know, everything they did for me, getting me acclimated to the college football. You know, Penn State was actually my first college football working experience. I came from the NFL being a scout with the Baltimore Ravens for six years, so kind of jumping into college was a little bit new to me back in 2014. But, um, you know, they really did a good job of getting me acclimated and let me kind of run with some things and, you know, getting all involved in the whole college football atmosphere. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I know director recruiting or player personnel, you wear many hats, was possibly, and I'm just asking based on what you said, one of your primary roles there to do maybe more talent evaluation given what you did in the NFL, or you know, what, what did you kind of get your feet wet doing uh, you know, there for Penn State? You know, the whole talent evaluation aspect was kind of a natural thing for me coming from where I was. That was just something that was uh, seamless for me. Um, what, where I really felt like I thrived the most was kind of on the relationship aspect of things. Um, obviously, you know, being in recruiting is a lot different from the NFL where you're drafting players and kind of telling them where to go. When you're recruiting at the college level, it's more of a uh, building of those relationships, building that trust, uh, selling your product from the school and the academics, the football atmosphere, the fan base, all those type of things. So it was, a, it was quite a bit of a 180 from where I was at the NFL going into college. And me being myself, you know, I think that's one of my biggest strengths is that relationship aspect. Big time people person, you know, love to dive into the family aspects, getting to know these kids, knowing what makes them tick, knowing what's important to them and their families, not just from a college standpoint, but from a life standpoint, so we can help support those goals and those dreams, not just while they're at the institution, but going forward, you know, I've built a lot of relationship with kids at Penn State and that have gone on to the NFL and gone on to work. And, you know, they're still friends of mine and they will be for life. 
because we have that kind of bond that I've built, starting with that recruiting process, going on through their college days, and moving forward in life. Coach, uh, want to ask why Oregon? You know, Coach Cristobal is an amazing guy. You know, when I came out here, I had not met Coach Cristobal prior to that, and sitting down with this coaching staff and you know meeting some people around Eugene and at the university. It was all. It was really a no-brainer. You know, they had a unbelievable opportunity here for me, which was just it just made the most sense. Um, I think this program has already done a lot of amazing things, finishing with a top ten class this season, going nowhere but up. I think you know I'm not going to come here and try to tell these guys what to do. They've already done an amazing job. I just hope to add and elevate an already great program to the next level and bring my experience and my talents here to make this thing just a little bit better. And hopefully we'll be reaching heights that University of Oregon hasn't seen before but under Coach Cristobal's leadership. I just think the sky's the limit. We can kind of make it whatever we want it to be. And that opportunity was really, really impressive to me. And just seeing the pieces that they have here, the pieces that they have coming in, it really made a whole lot of sense for me to jump on board and join the Ducks. Uh, Coach, I know you've you know only been in town a short little bit, couple days if you will, um, and, and uh, you know probably had an opportunity to visit uh, not long ago. But uh, you know what's uh, Eugene is is not like Happy Valley. Obviously, much different atmosphere, much different city. Um, you know, population density much different. It just uh, you know what's kind of your thoughts on Eugene so far? I know you haven't been to a game, and there's a lot that you still have to learn. But you know, was that maybe some of the pull as well for you? Is just kind of you know, getting to know the city of Eugene and almost, and I'm using the quotation marks just, but, but kind of the quaintness of Eugene as well. It's funny. You say it's quaint, but I'm coming from a town that's about four times smaller than Eugene. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm going up to the big city in Eugene. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, something that I wasn't as familiar with before I really started doing my research and getting involved, but you know, this, this fan base out here is incredible. I mean, you know, Happy Valley, the city is built around Penn State, but much like Eugene, you know, everything out here is, uh, is had Oregon's imprint on at the university. And you can see it going into the stores, driving around town, you know. There's, there's no doubt who's the king of this town. It's definitely the University of Oregon. And that right there, just from a support base, and having that passion for this school and this university and the football team, it's gonna it's gonna make the difference in with these recruits when they see how important this university and this football program is to this city and the state. So, you know, it's it's an unbelievable opportunity and like I said, I'm I'm going up in population by a lot. <laughs> so it's it's funny, um it, there are a lot of similarities in the sense that it is a college town. And you know, tremendous fan bases, and it's it's just been an outpouring of support since I've you know announced that I'm coming here from the, the Oregon fans, and you know I really appreciate that. It was it was really overwhelming to be honest with you. I didn't think it was gonna kind of take off the way it did. I mean, I, I know about the history of this place, but just even just feeling that support jumping in day one, it was really remarkable, and I'm really appreciative of all that from the fans. Chatting with Kenny Sanders, he's the new director of recruiting for the Oregon football program. Kenny, 
when I hear you speak, I hear so much passion and enthusiasm. You clearly are fired up for your your role in this program, and I want to know if you had your goals sort of listed out. What's that number one goal for the year? Um, you know, I have a lot of goals. Uh, first of all, I'm on day two. I, I really want to immerse myself in this culture. Um, that's a big thing for me. I believe in the product that we're selling. That's going to make me that much better at my job. Just talking before about this fan support, that's huge. You know, that's that's going to go a long way with landing these top recruits and getting them to buy into what we're building here at the University of Oregon. So um, I don't want to set any specific goals because I think it's a little too early for that day too. Okay. All I know is right now what I want to do is you know, get with Coach Cristobal, get with this coaching staff, and we're going to work on getting this next class up and rolling. we got a couple guys coming on the campus, up and coming, and I want to just really dive in and really you know, leave my imprint on this class and hopefully – you know, when it's all said and done, come this time next year, we'll talk. We'll be talking about one of the most historic classes in Oregon football's history. So that's that's what it's going to be for me. You know, I'm a I'm a worker. I'm a grinder. That's all I kind of know how to do. So we're going to be at this thing day and night, talking to these kids, selling this program, selling Coach Cristobal's vision, letting them know that you know Oregon is on a on a massive incline going up. And these guys need to jump on board now because if they're not with us, they're going to be against us and we're going to be rolling right through them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Coach, uh, obviously with the invention of, of Google, it's pretty easy to find out anything you want about anybody for the most part. But other than you coming from Penn State, I don't have a lot of background on you and I chose not to go and look that up via Google. I'd rather ask you. You know, so if you don't mind, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, maybe growing up, you know, where you grew up where you played your high school ball and, and maybe kind of where you went from there. Yeah. So I'm a, I grew up in Philadelphia, born and raised in Philadelphia. So I was about the age of 13, moved down to Baltimore. My, my parents were separated. My mom got a new job in, in Baltimore. So I did all my high schooling in Baltimore. I went to a private school right outside of Baltimore city named uh, uh, McDonough school. Um, it's right in Owens Mills, uh, really good academic program, good athletic programs. And, you know, that was kind of the big change in my life. Uh, before that, I had been in Philadelphia City Public Schools, Baltimore City Public Schools. Having that opportunity to go to a college prep school really laid the foundation for my collegiate career and going forward. Um, God did not bless me being 6'5", 250 pounds, so <laughs> I took my time to Division three school in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg College. I uh, played football there. Um, after that, I went on to graduate school at the University of Louisville, earned my master's degree in sport administration. After that, I uh, did some did some internships. I worked for the Seattle Seahawks actually for a uh, summer at their training camp in 2005, the year after they lost with the first Steelers in the Super Bowl. Worked for the NFL league office following that. And then I got my first opportunity in personnel working with the Baltimore Ravens. I was there from 2009 to 2014. And after that, I went to Penn State to become the assistant director of player personnel. And from there, I came here. What was your experience like with the Ravens? Like, my father is a massive fan of the Harbaugh family, and I can just imagine a million different things that you learned from John Harbaugh. You know, John Harbaugh is an unbelievable leader, 
great guy, great father, great man. Um, you know, we had an opportunity to win the Super Bowl there, which was awesome. Um, and, you know, he, he taught me a lot about leadership. Uh, but, you know, realistically, me being in personnel, the, the, the real guy was Ozzie Newsom for me. You know, him being the GM there. The legend. For, since the inception of 1996. I think his last year was just this past season. And he's taken a, step, a little step down a little bit. But, you know, Ozzie Newsom taught me a whole lot about the player evaluation side and, you know, just developing talent and things things like that. So I, that was really the beginning of my football evaluation career. And, you know, I, I can't thank the Ravens organization enough for giving me the opportunity there to really dig my heels in and learn from the ground up, get my feet wet at the highest level and really learn how to be an evaluator. That was unbelievable for me and my development as a football evaluator. So, Coach, kind of flipping back to Oregon here as we're somewhat winding down, um, you know, for Oregon fans specifically, and I'm sure you felt the buzz around, you know, the complex that you've been there the couple of days, you know, the highest ranked, you know, class that they've ever signed at Oregon. You know, I know you weren't here, you know, throughout the recruitment of that, but I'm sure you're aware and know of several of the players that Oregon did sign. Uh, just overall, with the, with the knowledge you have, what are what are some of your thoughts on this class? Is there a couple guys that you have a little bit of, you know, extensive knowledge with uh, from looking at their tape or anything like that? Um, you know, obviously, you know, Coach Crystal Ball has done an amazing job, and the coaching staff, and even some of the guys that have left, they did an unbelievable job with this recruiting class. And let me just re- remark that. You know, this is just the beginning. I've seen those crystal balls vision, and it's only going up from there. And I hope with my addition, you know, we can keep that thing going. Um, there are so many guys that really excite you in this recruiting class for the University of Oregon. I mean, obviously, you know, Kayvon coming in, you know, everyone knows about his rank, ranking, but just his ability to do so many things on the defensive side of the ball is just tremendous and you know him being an early enrollee gives him an opportunity to really you know dig his heels in and get started early and be ready come fall so you know we, we could go on and on with this this class and you know both sides of the ball it's, it's been quite remarkable you know me coming from Penn State uh, on the other side of the coast we had some crossover in the crew but it wasn't a whole lot you know, some of the guys they've got from the East, like the Lance Will Hoyt, uh, Christian Williams, guys like that, uh, even uh, Bridges, the safety down from Alabama, you know, we were recruiting them some. But these these guys are unbelievable. We actually signed a kid from Eugene at you know, at Penn State, mm-hmm. you know, the quarterback, Michael Johnson Jr., so was familiar with him, Patrick Herbert, and those guys are tremendous talents. So I think, you know, this university hit a home run with this recruiting class, and you know, the Oregon fans should be really excited about what's to come, and these guys are going to be major contributors early, and they should be excited for what they're going to see on the field. We've got Kenny Sanders, Oregon Director of Recruiting. Coach, I, I think that pretty much hit all the bases. The um, The last thing for us is just where do you see yourself in the Oregon program? Is, is this a um, – I know, I know it's day two, but do you see um, a different Kenny Sanders in a year or two, or or just same guy every day, bringing the same thing and and seeing what happens? 
you know, every day you're going to get a lot of juice with me. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter, as most of you guys know. Uh, I like to mix it up a little bit. But if I'm the same that I am today, a year from now, then I didn't do something right. Every day I hope to evolve and get a little bit better at my job. Um, you know, one thing that's going to be um, a great challenge and something that I welcome is, you know, being on at Penn State. We were heavily based on the east, east coast of things, east of the Mississippi, and now I get an opportunity to really dive in and attack the west coast, and that's really exciting for me. I have some ties on this end that, you know, I really look forward to taking advantage of. You know, people that know me from back east that have moved out west, that have gotten into the high school coaching ranks, so I'm really excited about that. Um, it's it's going to be a tremendous challenge, but something that I'm definitely prepared for and something that I'm excited about. You know, it allows me to get up every day with a new sense of purpose, able to get involved and do something different, but also bring my talent and expertise to an organization that is already doing that at an extremely high level and just add a little bit, hopefully make them better. Yeah, Coach, I'm, I'm really uh, you know glad to hear you mention that because that's uh, if I had to wager, you know, just if I took a poll today, one of the you know biggest concerns maybe, you know, Oregon fans have would be okay, you know, this this young man's you know generally from the East Coast, not a lot of ties out West, you know, why would you know why would Mario Cristobal hire somebody to bring in? Obviously, from talking to you, we can understand why, but it would appear that you have you know more West Coast ties uh, than most would think on the surface. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, and what fans need to understand right now is. It's not like it was 20 years ago where people were kind of segmented, segmented as to where they're from or where their region was. But the internet and with national recruiting at this point, and you have to understand Oregon being such a national brand and such a high-level program, they're recruiting everyone, not just the West Coast, the East Coast, the South, Canada, anywhere you can think of. And that's the same thing at Penn State. So even though we've, um, I've been on the East Coast, my ties have reached as far west as Hawaii as well. So everyone is kind of connected with the with the internet and with the huddle film and everything like that. So we've been definitely tracking. I've already got ties in with some kids just from my, my recruiting experience. So it's always been just look, you know, last year Penn State signed the quarterback from Sheldon High School right here in Eugene. So it's not like we haven't been out here. We've been out here recruiting as well. So my ties definitely go as far as the West. It is going to be a little bit different because now I feel like it's more realistic that I can actually land some of these kids, me being this close. So it's actually more exciting and it makes it a little bit more realistic for me being here. And I can offer such a great institution like University of Oregon with the back end of Coach Cristobal and his staff and this organization behind me. Definitely. No, I, I love that you mentioned that because like you say, you know, when it comes to almost college football or college football recruiting, once you're kind of in the network, you can usually figure out a way to get to somebody because you know somebody that knows them or, you know, uh, recruited a kid that might know that particular head coach at that high school or whatever. Um, it, it's kind of amazing to, uh, you know, just to experience as I've done it on my end. I'm sure you have on yours. But, uh, Coach Sanders, I know you've got an absolute plate full of things to get to, and I know that Coach Cristobal is not going to let you hang out on the phone with us all day. So <laughs> we want to we want to thank you for taking the precious time that you have now and and you know, letting us kind of get to know you a little bit, letting Oregon fans get to know you, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again. Thank you guys very much. Hey, you can go Ducks, right? Go Ducks, that's right. <laughs> Scoop Duck and High Five, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins here with you. Just spoke with Kenny Sanders, the new director of recruiting for the Oregon football program. I didn't know he had a background with Ozzie Newsom. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, I I didn't know about. Honestly, I did not know about. Other than you know the amount of time that he spent at Penn State and what he was doing there, I didn't know about him. Now, like I said, I could have pulled up a Google search right before or this morning or yesterday, and 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 I didn't just because it's it's more fun to hear it from them. You hear tidbits, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of blindly going into it that you wouldn't think to ask in the first place. You know, I probably would have never thought to, you know, even mention that. So, um, you know, really uh, just an interesting background. Sounds like he, you know, has quite a bit of experience in the NFL and doing talent and scout evaluation, which is a very critical component of his daily tasks as a, d- a director of recruiting. Yeah. Um, you know, so that will be invaluable to him. And, you know, like like you said, I'll, uh, I'll be honest, maybe Kenny will listen to this, maybe he won't. You know, one of the big uh, things I had as a question mark was, you know, how much knowledge will he have of the West Coast? But, you know, he did answer that well. And I do agree, you know, if you are a grinder, if you get out there and you know how to cultivate relationships and develop them, you can do that easily in a quick amount of time. Mm-hmm. And his job will be that much easier because he's got the O on his chest. I hear coaches talk about that. And once you got the O on, the, on your chest, it carries a lot of weight with who you are and what you do. So I have no, no doubt in my mind that he'll get out there and start grinding and that will uh, not be an issue. So I hit on the talent evaluation side. Mm-hmm. You hit on the networking and connection side of his job. What's the breakdown there? 50-50 or, or something else? Well, you know, uh, that's a really good question. You know, Oregon in particular, we'll just talk about Oregon today currently. You know, they've got a director of recruiting and then he's got a few guys under him that are out there, uh, like you know, for instance, um, you know, they're calling coaches and they're, uh, you know, calling people that they know and getting film of guys of, uh, you know, for now we're looking at 2020s, but, you know, they'll even look at 2021s. Oregon's even offered some 2022s, which means those young men are freshmen. Wow. You know, you as the director of recruiting don't have to just sit in your office and scour the country for talent you have help doing that your job really is basically those guys are kind of like your first wave like hey you know we went and watched five kids film here's two of them we think these guys are kind of worthy why don't you take a look mm-hmm. and then that's where you know coach sanders kenny sanders will come in and sit and probably look at those two not all five and say you know hey i like this one or i didn't really care for either i'm not going to bump them on up to an assistant coach that's just sort of the evolution of the process there i mean unfortunately for mario cristobal or marcus arroyo you don't have time to sit there and watch film on a hundred quarterbacks if you're marcus arroyo and you don't have time to sit there and watch film on 250 offensive linemen if you're mario cristobal so he's kind of a filter you're the filter. yeah yeah that's one of your main jobs is to kind of filter that next is obviously you've got to organize the coaches when they go on the road you know where they're visiting who they're visiting that's got to sync up you don't want a coach bouncing from Hawaii over to Florida and then back to Arizona and you know I mean it's you've got to yeah. you've got to maximize you've got to be yeah. efficient time yeah that takes a ton of time and then like he mentioned when Oregon brings in unofficial visitors or official visitors uh, you know not only do you need to make those travel arrangements for them and their families you've got to have stuff uh, you know planned on campus what they're doing who's showing who where when the coaches are meeting with them for lunch you know they're I mean you are just basically lining up so many different things to make it flow so you know the director of recruiting definitely holds a lot of responsibilities that's a little bit of what what he'll be doing um you know as far as networking goes why that's valuable is because when you reach out to maybe some of these seven on seven coaches or these or the the head coach of of modern day who's obviously loaded every year Mm -hmm. 
you, you need to be able to reach out to them and have a good enough relationship. Say, hey, give me your dudes. You know, do I, look, don't sell me on every kid on you have on your team. Let's be fair here. Give me your dudes. Give me a couple guys. Be honest about where they are. Hey, this kid's kind of a project. Could develop into something. This is a no, can't miss dude. Whatever. You need to have that relationship to be able to really do that because, again, that, that streamlines, maximizes, mm-hmm. you know, makes your time efficient. So those are the types of relationships you, you need to have. And you don't just reach out to the coach of modern day. You've got to go to the smaller schools. You know, you've got to reach back to maybe a Sheldon that doesn't have a kid every year but might and say, hey, look, coach. You got anybody this year? No, I don't have anybody this year, but I got a young man next year that I want you to go ahead and take a look at early. You got to have that kind of, that's where networking comes in. I mean, so mm-hmm. a very, a, a very critical part of, of what you're doing at your job. And again, uh, you know, you've got, you've got several guys under you that are doing this, the same thing and, and uh, you know, they're very critical to helping Kenny Sanders. So we had Stephen Field on here. Really enjoyed his interview. Enjoyed his time. Yeah. I think I think he did a great job at Oregon. Uh-huh. I, I'm excited about you know Coach Sanders after talking to him and, and seeing what he's going to be able to do. I'm excited about him too. One of the points you mentioned when we spoke to him was how I think some fans might have just looked at the resume and said Penn State, East Coast. How does this guy fit? Mm-hmm. And I think after hitting every angle, right, he has a, a, a background in tape that would suggest he sees the game the same way as Mario Cristobal. He's a grinder, as he mentioned with us, yeah. so he's going to pick up the networking side. And then you're telling me about all the logistical management and all the things he has to do to help everyone else do their jobs. I think that's the perfect place to find a guy, yeah. right? It's not a West Coast school. You're not going to grab somebody from Pepperdine and throw them in that role. Right. But Penn State is a blue-chip college football program. Right. Absolutely. And so you've grabbed someone who knows how to do exactly what you've hired them to do. At a high level. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly to your point. And you know one thing I, I we didn't har- – I didn't – we didn't really – I wanted to ask him about this, and I didn't. We kind of segued somewhere else, but uh, – I mean, obviously, I have not spent time in the area, but just our understanding of what some potential inner city living in Philadelphia and Baltimore could be like. If you're going to public school there, it's probably not the easiest, you know, upbringing in life. Oh, no. Now, of course, he went into a a private school. He obviously continued his education. But my point to that is a lot of young men out there that get recruited in college football will come from a very difficult area and he can connect to that he can relate yeah you've got somebody that can now hey you know hey young man i i grew up in an area much like yours you know it wasn't easy you had to watch your back at school sometimes you know though i understand what you're going through and you have someone who is really the face of your recruiting office now yeah you've got coaches and stuff but that's the face of your recruiting office he's going to be able to not only relay that to the potential recruits but to the families you know to the mom that comes up on the visit with them or to the dad and you know have the opportunity to say hey look i i appreciate your struggles because i went through them myself to a degree you know whatever his upbringing in, includes obviously he took advantage of 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 some great schooling in high school he took advantage of of his college education and you know kudos to him for that I just think that's very invaluable to have those experiences along with that. No, definitely. No, the more we hear about him and obviously just wrapping up a conversation with him, uh, the more there is to like. Let's look now at recruiting. There was a pretty big story from over the weekend that unfortunately 
couldn't go the Ducks' way. It didn't. Uh, you know, uh, in our opener, we talked about, you know, Joe Vaughn Booknight getting potentially or more than likely hired by Oregon, uh, you know, at least as we're recording this, not confirmed by Oregon yet. Um, you I, know, th- I guarantee you, midway through, you're oh. going to get a text message well, yeah. and it's going to be official. Yeah, we'll get a release or something. <laughs> and it's, yeah. And I, w- I wouldn't feel comfortable reporting it enough, or I mean, as much as I have, at least on this podcast. If I wasn't pretty confident that the news was accurate, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's a guy that we've been mentioning on Scoop Duck for a couple of weeks now as a very likely candidate for this role. Anyways, yeah. to the point, Puka Nakua, you know, late Sunday night, you've got the you've got actually Snowmageddon in Utah, which we never got. here. Well, we didn't get it down here. Only in Gresham. Yeah, no, not. Yeah, we didn't get it down here in Southern <laughs> Oregon. Anyways, the um, uh, the the much laughed about Snowmageddon down here in Southern Oregon. But uh, finally, Puka Nakua getting to the. Uh, Utah news station getting his decision out, you know, signed, committed to Washington. You know, I, I think Oregon not having a wide receiver coach was a small part of that. I think, you know, the bigger part of that is at the end of the day, Oregon signed a really strong wide receiver group without him. Mm-hmm. Washington did not. And I think if you're Puka Nakua, you're almost foolish to not think that there's a very a much easier path to potential playing time at Washington than Oregon. I think that was probably the biggest deciding factor in the end. Mm-hmm. No slight to him. I mean, everybody, you, know, you shouldn't be afraid of competition. It's not about that. I mean, look, I mean, Oregon signed four really good wide receivers. You know, Washington, I know they signed a couple guys, but nobody really jumps off the page at you. Uh, I don't fault the young man. I mean, they're a great program. They're doing things well up there. But, you know, much to the point there, yeah, Oregon did lose out on P- Puka Nakua. But at the end of the day, not all is lost. That was not somebody that they had to have to make this class. They're in good shape otherwise. Yeah, for all the criticism that he might garner, I think about it this way. If you were to form a business and you had to write your business plan of what your business is going to be, you want a business that doesn't compete. Right. Right. You want to have your niche. You want to have your area. You don't want to go up against seven other carbon copy businesses. Right. And when you are a player like Puka, and you're looking at schools where you can play wide out. Do you want to go to a school where you got to compete with five other freshmen? Right. Or go to a school where, hey, they desperately need somebody. Yeah. They don't have anybody. Yeah. And Washington did. I mean, yeah. they definitely did. So, you know, that's probably not the only factor. That's the one we're hitting on the most. But I, I would have to wager if I was in the internal discussions of his family between him and his mother, that was probably a certain, certainly a big piece of the pie. But again, as I mentioned, and, and we couldn't match, so, you know, I want to. Back said so we couldn't mention this with with uh, with Kenny Sanders uh, just because of NCA regulations, but obviously Oregon's continuing to recruit Penn State wide receiver graduate transfer Jawan Johnson, who visited recently. Uh, you know that one very much remains in the picture, and I've got to believe that with Coach Sanders coming over to Oregon, that's a plus. That's a plus, and you know all of the great things that we've talked about, Coach Sanders. I know. You know, from what I've read on him, at least in this regard, he develops really good relationships. I know as far as what he did at Penn State, he was very good at relating to some of these young men. Got to be an absolute big boost for Oregon with Jawan Johnson. And we couldn't ask Coach Sanders about that, even though he coached him there. You know, not not allowed to talk about that. I wanted to ask him about it, but, you know, (laughs) at this point we're not able to. But Puka Nakua gone to UW. I think Oregon's in great shape for Jawan Johnson, who honestly is the guy they really need because that's a ready-made, come-in, 
help next year, right away kind of guy. I agree with you. I, I'm really excited about the freshman core at receiver, mm-hmm. but you can't expect these guys to contribute right away. You need right. somebody with more experience. Yep, and Jawan Johnson brings that. And, and, you know, to further that, losing Dylan Mitchell hurts. And, yes, this wide receiver group, absent Dylan Mitchell, isn't great. But if you are able to get a guy like Jawan Johnson in, and from what I had heard or had been relayed to me is that Brian Addison had come – along so far that he could have easily started that bowl game for Oregon. Wow. But if he did, he would have lost his red shirt. Mm. That was the push there. I was like, okay, do we, you know, do we play him for this one bowl game and lose him for a year or do we wait? I, you know, Oregon decided to wait, which I think was the right choice. But you almost have to consider that into the equation. Okay, look, you know, Brian Addison, you know, starter quality player. Mm-hmm. He'll and then not only was he ready then, now he's had the strength program for this winter. He's going to yeah. have spring football. He'll have fall camp. He's going to be that much farther along. And then you bring in a guy like Jawan Johnson and the four signees that Oregon has. Got to feel really good about Oregon's wide receiver situation. No, that is a plus. Certainly. Uh, one more question on receiver, but first, I I think about. Last August, on my radio show, I would interview you, I would interview a lot of the other Ducks writers, and I'd always ask everybody, hey, right before the season starts, who do you think is an emerging talent on this team? And the two names that always got thrown out, you brought them up every week, Javon Holland and Brian Addison. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's easy to forget the Ducks have a hidden gem sitting there in Brian Addison. Yeah, I, I think Brian Addison would have been... Uh playing sooner in the year and would not have saved his red shirt year had he gotten on campus sooner you have to remember he basically showed up the week of fall camp starting Mm -hmm. i think had he been able to show up in the spring sometime or even in june when the rest of the guys showed up you know that didn't graduate early he probably would have had a much higher possibility of playing more significantly towards the middle of the season than he did in his current circumstance so you shed that aside. He's got all the all the uh, you know athleticism and makings to be a contributor. And from what I was told, leading into that Red Box Bowl, it was a very difficult decision whether you know to play him or not play him, knowing that that red shirt was on the line. And uh, one last thing on football, at least in my notes, if yep. you have anything else, you can hit on it. But my mind veers over to the NFL draft. Right. So right now. Senior Bowl's over. Right. Uh, combine is in the days ahead. Yes. Who's the first duck off the board? Uh, you know, good question. I I suppose, you know, I, I would have to say you'd have to go Jalen Jelks. You know, I don't see Ugo Amadi. Uh, I love what he did as a player, but you don't see him getting a lot of draft love. Um, I think Justin Hollins is going to be a guy that surprises and really ups his stock, but as of today, we're just kind of, you know, guesstimating what could happen. Um, as far as Dylan Mitchell goes, Mitchell goes. Love what he did at Oregon. Um, you know, I've seen some fourth round, uh, fourth round, fifth round love for him, which is probably somewhat fair in my mind. I'm thinking fifth, sixth round for him personally. But mm-hmm. so, you know, if I'm waging, I'm just saying based off measurables and, and some other intangibles, I'd, I'd say it's Jelks, um, could be Hollins. I don't know that it'll be Mitchell. I just don't know that he's quite fast enough. But I mean, you know, he's. I mean, he had a heck of a season last year. So yeah. All my. I guess my point to that is, all three of those guys are probably going to go anywhere from late third at best to sixth round, and it's 
gonna be kind of a pick 'em of the three. Be a little different than next year. Oh yeah, yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah, we. I mean, you know, you're gonna have a bunch of offensive linemen coming out next year. You've got Herbert coming out next year. I mean, you've you know, obviously Dye will be going out next year. I mean, you, Oregon's draft class next year, and that's another. You know, that becomes a big recruiting selling point at that point. No doubt, it's been a bit of a drought for Oregon, really being able to sell you know high profile draft picks the last few years. And now you kind of go and look at this thing and think, okay, next year is going to be a big year. And then you got guys like Jordan Scott in there and you got Panay Sewells that are young, but contributing early. I mean, you've got, you know, a Javon Holland, give him a couple years and see what, what ends up going for him. I mean, uh, you know, right now, you know, Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore look like they're, they're developing, which again, we refer to Mario Cristobal football as a developmental sport. Uh-huh. Tough to know where these guys will be in a year or two, but if they continue to develop, obviously they're going to up their NFL stock. But if Oregon can, can you know, kind of get back into that routine like they did in, in the chip days of getting some earlier draft picks, mm-hmm. that is a huge recruiting tool. Huge. Yeah. Well, I've, I've used the analogy before. One of my friends in high school went into his field at UO of all schools um, because he thought it would springboard him for a law career. Mm-hmm. I picked Oregon Tech and I studied computer science partly because they kept pitching all the places that the grads would work, right? Guys right. were getting jobs at Microsoft and Apple and right. going to, you know, build Patriot missiles for the government, all sorts <laughs> of stuff. It's like, I want to be a part of that, yeah. make some money. Um, that's the pitch for duck football. When you have a Justin Herbert get drafted top 10 next year, that's the expectation. When you have guys consistently going to the pros, you're able to dangle that to recruits and say, we can set you up for your career. Right. I mean, and, and as much as Oregon fans want to hate Washington and despise them, that's what they've been selling to defensive backs. Yeah. And they should. Yeah. Like it's worth. I mean, why they are? They are developing them. They are getting drafted. You know, early and early. I mean, Byron Murphy's going to be an, an elite draft pick this coming year. I mean, Kevin King is the one that stands out to me. Yeah, I mean, he could have been a top ten pick. Yep. And so, I mean, if you're if you're, I mean, Washington's selling that and selling selling the development of defensive backs. Well, it's working because they're still recruiting you know defensive backs at a high level uh, you know USC f- has continued to sell that for years even though they really haven't been developing anybody you know they're they're selling wide receivers on on their tradition they're selling linebackers on their tradition and you know what it's working i mean why wouldn't you you, you know much the same reason you know that you chose your 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 college path i mean that's why these young men are choosing there so again for Oregon you get back to you know, really being able to sell these guys on 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 the draft picks. Um, you know, if if you're able to get Herbert drafted early, you know, you kind of piggyback that off Marcus Mariota a couple years ago. Hey, we we send our quarterbacks to the league. You know, I mean, just yeah. those are the things that you want to do. I mean, Alabama, obviously, you know, that's their pitch. Yeah, year. yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, and it should be. They're an NFL factory, mm-hmm. and they are. I mean. Start on this defense, and you're a first rounder, and you're in. Yeah, yeah you know, and you know, Clemson <laughs> selling that too. So again, that's that's it's it's just kind of the evolution of recruiting. So, yeah, that's it. That's it for football in a nutshell. Unless we're going to talk about the AAF, but I don't know that we are. Well, we'll save that for yeah, when we'll Eugene save, gets a yeah, team. We'll save that for a little bit. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Of how great would it be? I mean, we're only one week into this whole thing. Sure, but. Birmingham has a team. Right. Bama fans and Auburn fans love it. Go nuts for They're it. They're the already. iron, aren't they? The Birmingham iron. Birmingham iron. Yeah. And they got all these Bama players. Imagine a Portland team 
loaded with ducks. Yeah. How fun would that be? Yeah. All ducks and then a the couple of beavers that they put out. Yeah. No. Like maybe maybe Sean Mannion, yeah. you know, bails on the Rams and says, hey, I get to start for yeah. the Portland team. Yep. Right? No. Yeah. I mean, it, no, it would be, uh, you know, it'd be... Like I said, it's nice, and that's one of the things that, you know, we didn't mention it to Coach Sanders, but, you know, no NFL team, you know, really puts the onus on Oregon kind of being the football team of oh, the state are. of Oregon. Yeah, they no, are. and that's a big part of it. You know, I mean, uh, that's just that's just kind of, you know, really only having one pro team, really, for the most part, the Blazers. Um, you know, I love what the Timbers do and stuff like that, but, I mean, having the one major market pro team in the Blazers really puts an emphasis on some of these college programs. Obviously for football, it comes down to Oregon. Um, you know, I'd love to see them get a baseball team up here. I know they're working on it, but <laughs> who knows? Uh, I mean, that's a topic for, for later on in the pod, but I, I agree right, right with you wholeheartedly. And he mentioned this in the interview, the intensity of duck football fandom is oh, yeah. like nothing else in this state. Yeah. No, I mean, they, sh- you know, duck fans show up for game day. You know, they show up and tailgate before, you know, people flying flags out front of their house. They got stickers on their cars. I mean, there's no question that, you know, there is a huge uh, duck following in the state of Oregon, obviously in the city of Eugene. Um, so, I mean, that, that team gets a lot of support. Um, if Mario Cristobal can keep winning and recruiting, they'll get even more support. Okay, that pretty much knocked out every item on my rundown okay. and more. Other than other than the <laughs> other stuff, yeah. I want to talk basketball. Yeah, let's talk some hoops, man. All right, let's look at the hardwood men's basketball. I like the little streak they're on. Yeah, three of the last four. Yep, some confidence uh, boost. Confidence boost. You know, obviously winning win, winning cures all, as we know, and it doesn't just apply to football, it applies to basketball. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just got to love some of the, again, I circle back to just to some of the fight and some of the effort that you see some of the players given. Um, you know, you see Louis King kind of just continuing to emerge. You see Miles Norris, you know, uh, emerging a little bit more. And one of the guys I've started to notice a bit more is Francis Okoro. I think he's really started to kind of up his game the last couple of weeks. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's just getting more comfortable within the offense or the defense or, what it, or you know, maybe his uh, 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 conditioning is getting better. I don't really know, but he seems to be playing a little bit better. And if you don't have Bull Bull, that was a guy that Oregon really needed. And I think if they can get him, that really helps this little bit of a run that they're on and a, and a late push. Yeah, when I think about the impact that Okoro has made, I'm also reminded about what Kenny Wooten has done in the oh, last geez. four games. Yeah, uh, Dana Altman said this about Wooten. He he said that you know we need him to be on. Yeah, we need his defense to inspire offense, and I think that's the key for Oregon going forward. When Wooten is able to swat plays out of the sky and uh, uh, out of the sky and Okoro is snatching rebounds and leading the transition it really opens up a, a, a way to win that the ducks didn't have a month ago yeah and that's I guess that's why I mentioned Francis Okoro it is Kenny Wooten uh, you know making the highlight plays the blocks and some of the dunks and things like that but one of the, it's not a knock on Kenny Wooten, but he is not the dude to generate that. He needs mm-hmm. a Coro or Paul White or somebody to kind of be that post in the middle 
and you know basically forcing his guy to their back and delaying a shot not letting them get a clear path so that Kenny can time his his jump and block. Yeah. Again, you know, when Kenny Wooten was at his best when Bobo was out there because he could play off of Bobo. He's also becoming at his best again because he's able to play off Francis Okoro in my mind. So I, I, I do, uh, you know, while I give Francis Okoro the love, you know, Kenny Wooten's doing his thing, no question. But I do want to credit Okoro for really being a big part of that, kind of the unsung hero. Uh, because the more he can be that defensive presence in the paint in the middle, the more Kenny Wooten can play off of him and do what he does best. So Civil War Saturday night in Corvallis, mm-hmm. which kind of Oregon team shows up? <laughs> Good, Great question. I mean, you know, we, we saw that first uh, Pac-12 game of the year, and there was no question which of the schools was the better team at that particular moment. And I think right now Oregon's kind of finding itself and saying, hey, look, I think you know, we can play with these guys, and I think it'll be a heck of a ball game. I mean, it certainly looks like it could be one of those last possession wins or, you know, whoever comes out hot, and I and I know that's cliche, but this game certainly looks more evenly matched than what we saw that first game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had Oregon maybe continued to slide like they did a little bit there a few weeks ago, it wouldn't be so, but they've really kind of turned things around. So I'm excited for. It. I think it's gonna be a, a great weekend about. It's gonna be a great weekend of basketball. Yeah. Oh, no, I, a great weekend. I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that for the basketball diehards out there, it's it's kind of like when football coaches watch a game, they don't mind if it's ten seven. Right. Right. They're not complaining about touchdowns like the casual fan because they love the defense and the special teams. Sure. I think that's the kind of game we get Saturday night where the Ducks are going to ramp up full court pressure. Yeah. And try to pace Oregon State out of their element. Yeah. And. I think they can argue that it'll work because right. it did in the second half of that game. But then Oregon State will turn around and they've got like a utility belt on their zone defenses. They do. They'll do a little bit of everything in the half court defense. And so we might have a pretty low scoring game with a lot of turnovers, but it's still going to be fun. You'll and have some highlight reels. And that's the thing. I think if because I, I, I believe from the amount that I've watched, and you've probably watched more, Oregon State is more effective when they can run their half-court offense with their bigs, when they can be big and run a half-court offense. Oh, yeah. So the, oh, way, yeah. You, the way you disrupt that and, and, and try to at least curtail some of their scoring is you are either you are pressing them, and by pressing them, you're either really tiring out their bigs from running the floor a bunch, or you're forcing them to, to go with a little smaller rotation, mm-hmm. which is not quite as effective scoring-wise for Oregon State. So, I mean, if I'm if – I'm, Dana Altman, I guess that's how I go into this game and say, hey, look, we can't press the entire game, but we're going to need to press a fair amount in the first half, and we're going to need to press in the second half, and we need to be fresh for it. I also think it's it's fascinating to think about after all of the mistakes that we've seen this year and the lows, right? Bowl Bowl is out, sure. done for the year, right? and Duck fans – at several points this year, thought that was it. We missed our moment, and we're not going dancing. I really think a second season starts on Saturday because you've got Oregon State coming up, and there's this logjam for second place in the Pac-12. Still got to play the L.A. schools, still play the Arizona schools again, and then you wrap up with Washington right on top of the conference. Right. If you get some help, right, if the Beavs beat Washington or the L.A. schools drop them, and then you take care of Washington – the Ducks can win the regular season title. Which is crazy. 
Yeah. Which is crazy. But, uh, you know, again, that's sort of what we talked about early on is, is, you know, how this team is playing at the beginning of the season, you know, isn't how they'll be playing at the end of the season because that's what Dana Altman does every year. Mm -hmm. he, He figures it out. He keeps grinding on these guys and makes small transitions or, you know, that we don't see to the naked eye, but I'm sure he's in there making small uh, transitions to his team. And you've seen, you know, what what I do enjoy about this Oregon team at this particular moment is that a number of guys can step up. At You know, Paul White will have a big game. Kenny Wooten will have a big game. Amin will have a big game. Uh, you know, Louis King will have a big game. Pey- Peyton Pritchard will step up. Um, and some nights it's a combination of two guys, but it's om- it's not... It's it's not ever the same guy every night, and it's not it's not hardly ever the same two guys every night. It's you know they're figuring out okay who's got the hot hand or you know how are we able to expose the defense and get you know somebody a wide open look whoever it is, um, you know Oregon's got the versatility to do that, and I think that's really you know what Dana Altman's maximizing you know for this last couple of weeks and obviously moving forward because at the end of the day even Washington who's you know the best team in the Pac-12 are beatable. I mean, that's the thing. Nobody is that far ahead. Now, there is no Duke in the Pac-12. No. <laughs> you not know, this so, year. No, not this year. So, at the end of the day, wherever Oregon's at, it really, everyone else is is a winnable game. I mean, the L.A. schools are a winnable game. Oregon State's beatable. Um, you know, both the Arizona schools are beatable. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of control your own destiny if you just handle your business on the court, really. And that's a phrase that we can turn and apply to the other team in the Oregon basketball ranks. Uh, how about those ladies? They're definitely handling handling their business on the court. No doubt about that. Forty point yeah. demolishing, right in Palo Alto. Yep. I I still can't believe it. No, I I I mean, I can't even believe what we saw in the first half. And then you think, okay, they went to halftime. They were up. You know, I don't remember what they were. They were up like ten or twelve or something. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, that was a really good first half from Oregon. Yeah. And then they just came out and throttled them. It was like, okay, you know, Stanford might bounce back here, make a little bit of adjustments. And it was the opposite. It was like they just absolutely took their will to play basketball in Palo Alto. I mean, that was just absolutely amazing and absolutely looking forward to these this fun pair of games against Oregon State this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I got to admit, I didn't see that second half against Stanford coming. I thought, okay, the Cardinals are going to tighten it up. Sure. And to own up a whiff – from last month, we had a comment on Scoop Duck. Somebody asked, hey, do you think the ladies can uh, go unbeaten in the Pac-12? And I said, no, no way. There's no way it's going to happen. Right. right? They still got to play Stanford in Palo Alto, and they got to play Oregon State twice. And after this week, where Stanford <laughs> beats Oregon State, right. and then Oregon goes to Palo Alto, beats Stanford by 40, I, I just don't see it. How do they lose? I don't think... That Oregon will lose a game, but I'll be honest, I'd like them to lose a game. I agree. It's I good agree. for a team. I mean, there, you, there is. I mean, yes, there is some some form of a uh, of a you know en- enjoyment going undefeated in a season. I get it, but would you rather go undefeated in a season, or would you rather win a championship? Mm-hmm. Oh, you take the championship. You take every the championship, time. no question. Mm-hmm. I think taking an L somewhere along the way gives Coach Graves that little bit of. Hey, there's you know here we go, guys. This we we are beatable, and I don't think anybody in that team thinks they're unbeatable. But it it does have a different effect on your psyche. I'm not saying they will lose. It, it certainly looks like they won't. 
And I'm not saying I want Oregon to lose. I'm just saying it wouldn't be a bad thing if they did. It wouldn't be a bad thing. No. And this Beaver team might be the one to get that done. Uh, last time the game was played in Corvallis, they took it to overtime and topped Oregon. Then they got throttled in Eugene. Yep. Uh, like you mentioned, real f- interesting two-game series. Yes. I don't agree with the way the Pac-12 does that scheduling, no. but it is what it is. Right. I believe uh, Friday they play in Eugene, yep. Matthew Knight Arena. Monday they play in Corvallis at Gill. Right. And I like this Oregon State team. Yeah. I, they're I not going to – they lost to Stanford, yeah. so they're not going to match up talent-wise. But they have some quality wins. I, I think they're going to pull one of them. I just do. I just get this feeling that they're going to pull one of them. And at the end of the day, I actually think that helps this Oregon team. I mean, I, I just do. I mean, I, I believe that Coach Graves uh, can handle them after a loss and get you know get them keep them on track, get them back on track, whatever you want to call it. And, and I, I do believe that if Oregon loses, it's it's not a big deal for this season. I actually think it's it, it would end up being a good thing uh, come the the the, uh, the tournament. The game Friday night sold out. Women's game sold out. That's so, awesome. That's freaking awesome i mean i good on you guys you should go you should cheer your heads off and really what you should do is absolutely embrace the fact that you're getting to watch basically history at oregon i mean this they are just such an impressive overall basketball team they're fun to watch they're engaging on social media you know you saw coach graves uh tweeting out the in and out burger meal after beating stanford last weekend i mean just you know i mean it has the makings of a special season you got you got to go watch it. I mean, don't let Sabrina Inescu leave without seeing her play no. in person. I love that you went there, Justin. I want to ask because you've covered the Ducks for a long time. Diehard Duck fan. They're coming off that win in Palo Alto for the first time in 29 years. Right. And they have a program that last year they won the Pac-12 title. This year, as of now, they're the favorites to repeat that sure. Pac-12 title. Is this the best basketball program you've ever seen at Oregon? Uh, top to bottom, it, it has to be. I mean, I love some of the days there with Dylan Brooks and some of those guys. Uh, you know, the Lukes were fun to watch back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. There's been some really fun basketball teams at Oregon. But, the, I mean, Sabrina is, you know, the best player in the country. I mean, period. She's just the best player in the country. Ruthie Hebert is absolutely no slouch. I mean, she's a legitimate legitimate top player in the country um i think coach graves what i love watching about this team is it's not just sabrina sabrina filling up the bucket with 30 points Mm -hmm. she does do that but she 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 is taking good shots and she is getting her team involved and she trusts them with the ball she has no problem passing she's you know she she, and, and then she just plays ridiculously good defense on top of that and it's not just her. It's all, I mean, all of them. They play hard. You can tell this is a team bond. I just absolutely, I think it's a delight to watch them play the game of basketball. Regardless of which school it is, they're, they're an absolute delight to watch play basketball. I agree. That's everything I have on hoops. Uh, you want to go picks real quick? Sure. All right. So let's start with the men. How do you think they'll do? Uh, let's see. The men have, let's see. What are the two games they have this weekend? They have, Oh, just Oregon state, just Oregon state. Okay. Yeah. Just the one. Okay. Um, I'm ca- man, that, that's a tough one right there. I'm calling a win for the men. I think they're going to ride the streak. I think they're playing really good basketball and I think they're confident right now. Yeah. 
as I mentioned, I think that they learned from that foot first game against Oregon State not to spot them. What did they spot them? Fifteen points or something in the first half? It was a rough start. It was a rough start. They had they they had a deficit to come back from. I think they will battle much better in the first half of this game, making it a much closer second half. Um, I think it'll be a close game either way. I think the Ducks will grind that one out. Men, men Ducks. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. I think the biggest key is just you look at the half-court defense that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Oregon State was fantastic at it for most of the year, but they've started to slip up in the last few sets. There's no reason Cal should have hung with them as long as they did. And then Stanford just slapped them. Right. So if you're Oregon, you see a Beaver team that's it's kind of on a downward trend, and you know, hey, your your pressure almost got to them in that first meeting. You ramp that up, and that's there, the difference. There's blood in the water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blood in the water. Blood I like water. that term. No, I, um, and that's the thing I think about pressing more. Uh, like you mentioned, Oregon State is very good in the half half court defense, and they use their bigs really well, and they do have length. And that's the thing. When you go and press more, you you take them out of the ability to set in that half-court defense mm-hmm. because you're running the floor both ways, offense and defense, you're running the floor. So you're either going to tire out your bigs if you're Oregon State or you're going to a smaller rotation. And either way, that benefits Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. No, it nukes your versatility defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, now with the ladies. Yeah. How's I, this going to go? I, I, I think I – think the beloved Lady Ducks are going to lose one of these two against Oregon State. I do. Um, I don't think they'll lose at home. I have. I, I believe Gill will be rocking Monday night when the Ducks travel 45 minutes north to Corvallis or 30 minutes, whatever it is. Uh, you know, that's the game to me that just really – I'm circling it right now saying, all right, if, if Oregon's going to lose one, it's going to be this one. So I don't know why Oregon can beat them. It, it won't alarm me one bit if Oregon loses. Again, I think they'll actually benefit from a loss. It's funny you mentioned the 30 to 45 minutes. I think it's 30 on a good day, and I think it's 40 if you get pulled over by that speed trap. Right. Yeah, exactly. Always see a yeah. speed trap right by the Corvallis I-5 exit. Or, or if it's a big enough game, there's a long line of traffic going to Oregon State for yeah. the game. Yeah. yeah. Coming from Eugene. Bottlenecking right there. <laughs> it bottlenecks bad. A&W and, yeah. uh, and the I-5 exit, man. Yeah. Everybody just, they go crazy right Make there. Make sure you go to the bathroom there when you get off the freeway. <laughs> Otherwise, it can be a, yeah, a long wait. Uh, yeah. See, I got geography on the mind. Yeah. I love our state. Yeah. Um, softball, baseball? So- softball. Woohoo! Oh, Oregon plays baseball? Yeah. <laughs> DeLuca unloads on one to left. Back to the wall. Out of here. First week of baseball. Mm-hmm. First game's Friday. And uh, you're, you're cracking jokes, making me laugh about it. Because I think it should be bigger. <clears throat> yeah. I look at Oregon State baseball, which my radio station gets to air. And I, I interact with Beaver baseball fans. I know how big of a deal that program is right now. It's huge. People are going nuts because the starting lineup just came out and they're peppering beat riders with questions yep. about the you know third and fourth string outfielders and stuff. I just don't sense that with Oregon. And I think it could be there. I think the potential's there, but it's not maximized. And that's the thing. I mean, it's there's nothing greater than to see a, a, a program thrive. And I don't mean when I say program, I'm not specifying Oregon or Oregon State. In this instance, you know, Oregon State baseball is, you know, at the apex. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they're an incredible program. Yeah. And it's fun to see that that team continues to do well every year. 
Uh, you know, I know that I think folks are obviously interested in it this year because there's a new head coach and things have changed a little bit. So, you know, everybody's interested to see how this great program, you know, will continue. As for Oregon, unfortunately, uh, it just hasn't been a great program. It, it, and it really hasn't even been a good program. Um, you know, George Horton was hired, well, gosh, what, four, five, six years ago? I, I don't know. I don't know. The, but it's it's been a while. And unfortunately, you know, it was it was it was embraced with a lot of expectations and excitement because of what he'd done before his time at Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first year, first couple of years weren't too bad. I mean, with some decent baseball. Um, I mean, it, it's, uh, to be honest, it's kind of a boring brand of baseball, small ball, but yeah. that's okay. If it wins games, people will forgive that. Mm-hmm. Once you start losing games and you play a boring brand of baseball, the excitement dwindles. So, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I'm somewhat surprised that Oregon hasn't made a change at this point and it's I'm not trying to sit here and slight Horton or call for his head it just seems as though you've watched I mean you could see it we don't you don't have to you don't have to follow baseball closely to realize that yeah. the, the interest has dwindled mm-hmm. year after year after year and at some point you got to start getting people to go watch the games and sit in the stands because I'm not a big baseball fan period I don't MLB whatever I could care less like I mean honestly if Portland gets a baseball team I'll go just a little bit just to take my kids and embrace it and, and support it. I, I probably won't follow it on a day-to-day basis. I don't, I just don't follow baseball like that. That said, there's still baseball going to an actual baseball game in person. It's awesome. It is one of the funnest things you can do. It is. Yeah. If it's a nice day out, it's enjoyable. So for instance, the opener that's Friday is going to be terrible weather, as you pointed out. Yeah. And it's a team that just hasn't played well. I would imagine the, the stands are very sparse on Friday for Oregon's opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got, well, so they've got the season opener this Friday. Mm-hmm. They're in Lubbock, Texas, playing number eight team in the country, Texas Tech. And then you host St. Mary's from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. That's in Eugene next Friday. Okay. And just just guess the weather for that. Snowmageddon. I don't, <laughs> it's coming eventually, right? Yeah. Someday. <laughs> it's going to be like the middle of June right. and we're going to get just plummeted with 10 inches of snow. But uh, February 22nd, mm-hmm. rain showers, high of 41. Yeah, that sounds cold. That's that's not good spectator weather. No, and not for, you know, not, you know, if it was Oregon softball, people would probably go out and watch still. They'd pack the Jane. They would. Yeah. And you know, Oregon baseball is going to be, you know, struggling to get people out there. And I don't want to sit here and harp on the baseball team. I, again, you know, Oregon would, would, would do well to see, you know, baseball you know, have a good season, even I'm not even calling for a great season, a good season. Mm -hmm. And, and again, you know, it does, it does kind of sad me a little bit because as we know, there's, there's no pro team in Oregon. So, you know, people would look forward to going to watching a baseball game at the university of Oregon from Eugene or Southern Oregon, or, uh, you know, possibly even coming down from Portland if the team was any good or worth watching. And, And it just, it just hasn't been the last few years. I think about how I enjoy baseball. It's pretty similar to you. I'm not a guy that follows a specific team day to day and, you know, catches up on the MLB app and stuff like that. But I love going to games. Yep. And I love great pitching. So I'm excited this year. You have a junior in Kenyon Yovan who has been all conference for yeah. two years. Probably this is the year that he gets a high draft pick and, and moves on. But a dominant pitcher every Friday night for the Ducks, 
they had that two years ago with David Peterson, and I, I think they get that right now. Something for fans to watch. Yeah, no, and, you know, to your point about watching baseball, when I go to San Francisco uh, in the spring, which I usually do, I didn't do last year, but I usually do, Kim and I go watch the Giants. And oh, not, man, that I'm, park is so beautiful. It is. I'm not a Giants fan in the least. I don't, I honestly, I could go, and if they win, great. If they lose, whatever. It doesn't, I pay no mind to it. Uh-huh. But that stadium is beautiful when it's, you know, when it's a decent day out, it doesn't have to be a super nice day, decent day out. And you just walk the loop and watch the paddle boarders out there in the ocean and have a, you know, have a couple beers and absolutely a fun experience. And that's the thing that Oregon baseball could do. Cause you know, you can have beverages, you know, there Yeah, and you a little can cheaper too, yeah, a little cheaper, but you can walk <laughs> around and it's a beautiful stadium and enjoy it. You know, if, if Oregon's even playing decent baseball, I think people will come out and support it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, you, it, it starts with pitching. Great pitching is great, but, you know, at the end of the day, offense is king, man. People love to see points put up on the board, and small ball doesn't put points up on the board. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. Not really. Uh, now to softball. Woohoo! Softball! Five straight wins. It's just like we all predicted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was the sarcastic voice right there everybody in the state hey it wasn't just me i I will i will hide and cower behind everyone else because i asked i i asked the student broadcasters in eugene kwva because they do all the play-by-play for Mm -hmm. softball i picked their brains hey what the hell is going on with this team right what do you think about this i i talked to joey mack duck insider host because he's a friend of the station we have his show what do you think about this? And everybody said, yeah, you, you can't really slice and dice it. Mike White was a great coach. Melissa Lombardi might be a great coach. Sure. But they're not the same personality. Right. And so they lose all these players. No one expected this team to start 5-0. and No. And that, you know, that was, uh, I won't claim to have had inside knowledge because I didn't, but that was one of the things I mentioned before the season is, Hey, look, maybe this is a case of the player's coach left and the next coach that came in was not a player's coach, mm-hmm. which Melissa Lombardi is certainly not a player's coach. And that rubbed those, you know, girls that came in and, you know, because Mike White's a different style of coach than Melissa Lombardi and doesn't make one right and one wrong. Or, I mean, that's just their style. That's how they get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike White was the player's coach. Well, okay. First off, he recruited exceptionally well because he was the player's coach, and so he had some great talent on that team that was able to win some games. I would have to venture to say that this current 5-0 and Oregon softball team is less talented, just at least based on their prospectus, but they are playing better softball. They are yeah. more disciplined. Their bats are more disciplined. They are more aggressive running the, uh, running the bases. They are a better coached softball team. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that. So, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Is it alarming the number of players that transferred out of Oregon? Of course. Absolutely. Especially the, 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 the firepower that left Oregon. A number of great names, starters, key players. But to Lombardi's question, uh, you know, uh, uh, res- uh, respect. I mean, she brought in players that said, and she probably told him, hey, look. This ain't going to be fun. I'm not going to, we're not going to go have pizza after the game when we win <laughs> and be buddies. You're going to dress a certain way. You're going to act a certain way. When you show up for practice, I'm going to work your ass off and we're going to be a good baseball team, softball team, excuse me. And if you don't want to come do that, don't come here mm-hmm. was probably her approach. I yeah. mean, I could not envision Mario Cristobal walking into any offensive lineman's living room 
and saying, you come play for me. We're going to be buddies and have a good time. And, and if we lose, it's okay. Let's play Madden. Let's just play. Yeah. yeah, it'll be okay. Hell no. He's going to warn them. You're going to come in and I'm going to grind your ass. But at the end of the day, I'll get you ready for the NFL. And you're going to be a hell of a football player when I'm done with you. Yeah. That's the speech. And that's probably, and that's the difference between, you know, Mike White and Melissa Lombardi. It, it, certainly I, I can, you know, I can understand. And I think some outlets really, in my opinion, um, I think some outlets really took to that without looking at some of the yellow, other elements. Like mm-hmm. I'd mentioned, hey, yeah. look at the coaches. It's different, different culture. Mm-hmm. Give this coach a, a break. Yeah, no, I, I think that, it was startling at for 